Hello, this is Jackie Mason. Who else would talk like this? You'd probably say I never did anything for you. I'm going to do something for you now. Buckle up. It's a lot safer that way. Hello, everyone. This is Adam West. Uh, maybe you're thrilled to buy adventures, right, on Batman there? Hmm? My secret true identity, Bruce Wayne, millionaire philanthropist. Anyway, I'm glad to talk to you all and have the privilege of doing the following. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. off when he gets out of here. He's going to cut all your heads off when he gets out of here. Because that's what you got coming.
Auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Hi. You better believe he's gonna cut some heads off when he gets out of here. He's gonna cut all your heads off when he gets out of here. He's not coming. synonymous with murder. Now a bizarre motion picture that reveals the terrifying truth behind the Tate-LaBianca massacre. You'll meet Charles Manson face to face, and for the first time outside the courtroom, you'll learn the staggering details of the most hideous murders in the annals of crime. You'll meet one man's family, the Manson family, and see and hear their horrifying philosophy of sex, perversion, violence, and murder, told in their own words by the killers themselves. You'll learn how they killed, why they killed, and who they are planning to kill when they get the chance. All of what you will see in the motion picture Manson has been suppressed until now, not permitted on radio, TV, or in family newspapers. That's why it's rated R, under 17, not admitted without a parent. Manson, you'll never forget the name, and you'll never forget the picture. Hey, welcome to Aerial View. Oh, I forgot to do this, Keith Hartel. Hey, Aerial View. I always start off with a little bit of echo. How are you doing, Keith? I'm doing all right, man. Thank you. How are you? Uh, I can't complain. It was a fairly nice day weather-wise here on the East Coast. We're not dealing with Hurricane uh, Dorian, I believe it is, barreling down on us. Uh, so, you know, here on the East Coast of New Jersey, where you and I both live, things are okay. Slowly cooling off. Slowly cooling off a bit. Labor Day weekend upon us. Long labor, you know, long weekend for a lot of people. Uh, not so much me. It's just another day, <laughs> pretty yeah. much. So, you know. yes. Uh, but yesterday, I, I did something I haven't done in a really long time, which is I, I went to a, a movie. Uh, don't really go to the movies anymore. Uh, there, there's just something about it that it, it becomes too much like a uh, Portlandia sketch, you know, and and the whole thing just starts to bug the living hell out of me. So. I tend not to do it, but uh, we were talking, and you asked me if I had seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 
And I said, no, you know, I wanted to go see it. I want to see it right away because I was excited yeah. when I read about it. Uh, but I hadn't gone to see it. Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to go see it by myself. But it's always better to go see a film with somebody else. It's not usually nice. You could have a conversation. Yes. I leaned over during the film and I made a couple of jokes. A couple I do believe. of asides. Yes. <laughs> There's a scene where, uh, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you don't know, is uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest film. I think his 10th film. I think he said no, it might be. Well, number nine. Number nine. So he's got one more film. He yes. said he was going to make 10 films. Yes. And he has, he has addressed that recently too. Right. Um, so this is his ninth film. Stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Uh, Leonardo plays Rick Dalton, an aging movie star who uh, was a hit of a TV series around about 1961. But now it's 1969. He's relegated to playing heavies on uh, crappy detective shows. Yeah, and then there's this other level that, like, he, he's one of those guys, like, maybe, like, say, a David Caruso or a Farrah Fawcett Majors, but, like, the, the person that left television to do a movie career that, for some inexplicable reason, it just didn't take. Right. And no one could say why Jennifer Aniston gets to go rule the movies and Farrah Fawcett Majors rejected in the movies. Right. But he was a Farrah Fawcett Majors that it didn't really happen for him as a movie well, star. Well, thanks for pointing that out. I kind of missed that part, but you're right. He does try to go work in the movies, and unlike a Steve McQueen, who yeah. was on Wanted, Dead or Alive. Uh, exactly. You know, he, uh, Clint Eastwood, who was on Rawhide. He doesn't go on to uh It, it was not stardom. his destiny. Yes, yeah, right. it was not his destiny to have that trajectory to go to that next movie star level. And that's this thing we still see happen all the time. He's also dealing uh, uh, with his own sense of his obsolescence, mm. which is a theme that really resonates with me oh, at this point. Yes, yeah. You know, in my life is like thinking, uh, is that it? Am I done? Have I been put out the pasture? Do I still have something more? Yeah. And it's kind of like that for this character, right? He's, he's wondering, is there anything left? Oh, it couldn't be more... It's, he's he's 100% of that. That's right. It's it's not like it's a subtext because it's a it's a Quentin Tarantino film yeah. who I met years back when uh-huh. he did Grindhouse, by the way. I oh. put up a picture on uh-huh. the Facebook page for Aerial View, facebook.com slash call Aerial View uh, of, of Quentin and I, and uh, we interviewed him on Sirius XM back in the day mm-hmm. when that film came out, and he signed. I went out and got some of the figures from the film, the uh, you know McFarland toys, uh-huh. and I had him sign mine. So I've got a signed <laughs> Quentin Tarantino in the basement, and he was very chatty. That's like we thought he would do. We thought we were going to talk to him for 15, 20 minutes. He was uh-huh. there like an hour, and we were talking about feet, and we were talking about how you get a, a foot uh, obsession and you become a fetishist and you fall in love with feet. And he was explaining his theory about how when you're a child and your mother puts you on the floor and you look up and you see her feet and that's the thing you're nearest to and 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 you start to get this thing for feet and i said to him so how do you become a breast man how does that happen well that's Those, that couldn't be more obvious it couldn't be more obvious okay <laughs> yeah, good no, i'm glad it's obvious i can't believe you had a real life foot conversation with quentin tarantino i, I did <laughs> you know i can't believe it either i mean sometimes i look back and i go oh my god i, I had a conversation with Quentin Tarantino about and I, I somewhere I have a recording of that somewhere I have the audio of that I will go back and listen to it at some point you know I'm waiting for it to age like fine wine I like to think we're aging like fine wine but outside the movie theater the bow tie cinemas there I think we both agreed on something we have been thinking about lately is damn we're old oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> old yeah we're old and uh you know trying to age gracefully it's not easy I'm trying to do the opposite you're trying to age ungracefully? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's uh, like maybe a, I'm like taking a the wrong tack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a bad idea. Like, you, know. you can get away with it because you're an excellent guitar player. I mean, I did like three or four or five aerial views with Keith Hartel uh, back when I was taking guitar lessons when I was recuperating from foot surgery. They didn't take the lessons, by the way, because I never practice. So, you know, I'm a terrible student. I'm one of your typical terrible students who doesn't practice. Don't use yeah. the word terrible. Well... You know, I I enjoy playing the guitar, but I think I'm getting, speaking of getting old, I'm at that point now where I'm like one of those guys I knew as a kid that has a guitar under his bed, yeah. and it hasn't come out since the Vietnam War, you know, and they're mm. like, no, Johnny doesn't play that thing anymore. I'm becoming like, that's... Well, you like, can always you know, reverse that at any time. I, I want to. We should uh, sit down and you should just try to show me more uh, pull-offs and hammer-ons, if yeah. you don't mind. Well, yeah, How's we that? Make a day of it. Uh, Tuesday, pull-offs. Wednesday, hammer-ons. Hammer-ons. All right. But we're not here to talk about music, although we do want to talk about the soundtrack of this I'll film. I'll tell you the thing. <laughs> which is what? What are you going to tell me? I don't me? think I mentioned this to you, but I've, uh, this is a thing I have been going around saying, but it is true. Is like uh, one of the great revelations of the. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sub, I'm gonna make a side move and, and comment that the soundtrack of the movie. That, that he made this movie about 1969, mm-hmm. and it's like Manson-related, and it's got no freaking gimme shelter, no spooky psychedelic music, like, no cool, like, stooges, velvet underground, like, any, nothing dark, no doors. No. And, and it's just all of this, like, what would have been on an AM radio at the time. But this is how I learned that apparently my favorite 60s rock and roll artist turns out to be, of all people, Bob Seger. Bob Seger. Uh, the Bob Seger song that's in it is it which one is it? Is it's it Rambling Gambler Man? Gambler Man yeah. that, and that's one of the songs that comes up when Brad Pitt is driving very stuntman like when he gets in his own car, right? Even Leo's house the first. There's time. a lot of crazy driving on the L.A. freeways in this. I heard they shut down the 101 freeway uh-huh. first time they ever did it during the day. They shut it down from noon to 2 p.m. so he could shoot an extended sequence. And not have to use visual effects, you right. know, to try to fake it. Right. So that's the first time that ever happened. And I know we're going to go all over the place as we discuss this film, but I'm going to try to say up front, there will be spoilers, inadvertently at least. I'm not going to try to ruin any of the surprises in the film, but I may inadvertently. So yeah. if you haven't seen it, uh, please don't listen any further. I would just say anyone could go into the movie. You, we, I think that we can assume... That no one thinks the movie is a, a strict, you know, uh, a, a, a dramatization of uh, the events. Yeah, yeah, the events that transpired that's, on Cielo Drive yeah. on August 9th, nineteen sixty nine, aka yes, the yeah. Manson murder. It's not a reenactment. Like, let's just say, we, everyone. I don't think anyone goes into the movie expecting a reenactment of that. So, no, but thank God. Having said that, I wouldn't want to spoil it. I will. I, I think that we should try to not spoil the ending. There may be other spoilers along the way. Who knows? But um, you know, I have. I said to you, I have a love hate affair, love hate relationship, yeah. whatever it's called, with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um, I I enjoy his movies on a visceral level because they're visceral films, and they're full of bright colors and fast action and good looking people, and yeah. they're entertaining, and there's a degree of joy to them. They're not like a slog, you know. Yeah. So for those reasons, but there's also part of what goes on. I feel like it's just 
it's like a well-engineered drug. Like he really knows the language of cinema and he knows how to write a scene yeah. and he knows how to utilize camera angles and music and the whole thing. He's he's a, a great director. You know, he, he knows yeah. how to do all those things. But what is it about me that keeps me from fully embracing Quentin Tarantino even after I met him and he was gracious enough to talk to talk to me for an hour? I don't know. I think you kind of answer your own question. I mean, one thing that he has a reputation for here, here's uh, um, this interview is very good. You can see it on YouTube. It's like an hour and a half interview with him and Brett Easton Ellis. And he talks about like, and at this point, this was hateful eight era. So he had two more after that one. So, you know, of his proposed 10 movie career. Mm. And what you get from him is he just starts going like, you know, I just don't want to be the guy that, like, you know, I'm paying an alimony and so I'm doing a movie because I don't hate the script and the actor's really big. And he's basically saying, like, he's engineered his entire life to only be dedicated to movies. And, and then and in his downtime, all he does is watch his movies. So he has a reputation, although he, he does, he is now married and expecting child. That's, okay. That's lit, brand new news. Who did he marry? Who the hell married him? So, some, uh, I think it was like an Italian lady like in the yeah. film spoiler or, or if not some sort of foreign but possibly italian but um but but that is really like his mo- life revolved around movies and i remember when um when he was breaking out with uh, pulp fiction and there was a certain thing between him and roger avery his film writing buddy and he goes like i could never beat quentin at movies um i decided to have a life instead it seemed a bit of a, a sour grapes thing but he, Quentin Tarantino gets criticized that his movies are about movies instead of life, and I think that that's the thing. Ah, that is that the rap up. on him? Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a critique. That's a, that's if the I ever talk critique. to him again and interview him, I'm going to say, some people say, you're going to be the some people say. Oh. Some people say you make movies about movies. <laughs> some people say. A lot of people have been saying. Do you ever think of change? I, I might just change my name to some people say. Yeah, First name yeah. some people say is my last name. Yeah. Yeah, some people say. Uh, by the way, the phone number here, the live line at the studio, if you want to discuss the film or anything Tarantino-related or the music, uh, we're going to get into the music that's used in the film, 760-422-5528, 760-I-CALL-AV. But first, uh, tip of the hat to Jack Davis, who was one of my favorite Mad Magazine artists, and there's mm-hmm. a shout-out to him when we see a Jack Davis-esque drawing on the cover of uh, Mad Magazine. Yes. And apparently Mad Magazine, did you know this? They made a whole sort of tribute uh, edition of of that with that cover on it, and then they put a bunch of 1969-style content oh, inside, apparently. No Somewhere out there is a Mad special edition Once Upon a Time in Hollywood magazine. Wow. So. Just uh, one of the many things I learned from IMDb, mere moments before you got here, Keith Hartel. I did not know that. Uh, Keith Hartel is my uh, guest, and uh, Keith you could find at the guitar bar uh, giving guitar lessons and also uh, playing most nights out of the week as well. Yeah, Uh, Working musician. I mean, I admire those working musicians. They're out of their minds, but I still admire them. Uh, It's no (laughs) recommended as a... It's no way to live, like a, a no real, like it's not a real, etc. Can I digress? Yes, the first of many because you, you just made me yeah. think of this show, The Terror, that I'm watching the first oh, season of. You are, you're watching the, the first season. First, first season where because they the get, second season just came out. Yeah, haven't I, started. Uh, I watched the first season. First season, I'm I'm really enjoying. You know, the yeah. ship ships oh, trapped in the ice and things go horribly wrong in the British Navy. Yeah. 
yes. you know, the, is uh, beca- comes under the influence of an Inuit curse. Is all I'll say. R- right. Yeah. Well, w- w- what's the guy? Jared Harris, right? Jared Harris, son of now, Richard Harris. Did, yes. did you see Chernobyl? Uh, I did. Yeah. And you yeah, probably yeah, yeah. knew him from Mad Men. Right. Who has worse luck in freaking television shows than that guy? Uh, <laughs> like he really, he's always getting. He's always in the worst possible situation. He always has tremendous responsibility right. over things he has no control over. Well, that's I, that's because. Uh, by the way, I believe this uh, role he's playing now. I think it's uh, his name is Francis, but he's a captain, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's a British Royal Navy captain in eighteen sixty thereabouts, something like that. You know, two ships try to find this. Um, you know, Arctic passageway, yeah. so the trade can flow more freely between the Far East and, and Britain, you know, Britain mm-hmm. and its colonies. And so they, they try to go through and they get thoroughly stuck in the ice, as Richard uh, Harris's son, Jared Harris, predicts, and mm-hmm. it ensues from there. But you made me think of that for, for one moment. I, it's it's an excellent show, by the way. It but is. But we'll, we'll get it back is. to Tarantino, because um, I played uh, under the intro of the program today, uh, the Baby Huey version of California Dreaming. Right. Because right. I, I remember watching the film with you and thinking, oh my God, is he going to drop that in here? There's a lot of literal needle dropping going on yeah. in this film. And by that, I mean close-ups of Sharon Tate oh, yes. and other people dropping a needle yeah. on a cut, right? Yeah. And he, he's he's accurate in that he they drop it on the correct cut. They don't drop it yeah. like at the front of the record. Yep. They actually go to the place where they want to hear the song and drop the needle um, and, you know, as Quentin Tarantino has the, heard this $100 million film, that might be accurate, I don't know. Yeah. But as he's gotten more and more money invested, of course, he could afford better and better music. So there's a lot of music in this film. Yeah, but I mean, th- and that's the thing that's great is like, is like he could have afforded to have Beatles songs in his movie. Right. And, um, you know, if you read about the Manson books, I mean, you know, that really was what the Manson family more so than they even wanted to. It was like Magical Mystery Tour. It was White Album. And then you would remember this funny fact from that, I think that Jeff Gwynn book we were just yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, Manson, yeah. Was that the only the only other musical artist he recognized as like being worthwhile other than the Beatles? It's the Moody Blues. The Moody Blues. <laughs> For whatever goddamn reason. He found just... them stirring. Like the, uh, the uh, orchestration, <laughs> he found it stirring. Um, I met that guy a few years back, interviewed him as well, got a uh-huh. signed copy of the book from him. It's fascinating. I, I've been fascinated by Manson. I have to go back to Raymond Pettibone and Black Flag. Oh, it's yeah. It's probably the drawings that Raymond Pettibone did yeah. of, like, creepy crawling. Uh, Charlie, are we going to go creepy crawling tonight? You know, that yeah. that kind of stuff that, like, I was like, who is this oh, Manson they, they, fella? Yeah, they invoked much yeah. Manson imagery. Um, but, you know, I also remember as a kid, because I was alive when that happened in 69, I don't remember. Uh-huh. No one said, hey, six-year-old Chris, you want to hear about this brutal murder yeah. in the Hollywood Hills? No one said that. But a few years later, they took that Vincent Bugliosi book and they yeah. turned it into a miniseries, right? Helter Skelter. Right, right. So that's a, another place where a lot of people first saw the Manson family. I'm kind of at this point, I think the Manson family is crested. I'm hoping that the Manson family is now... Sort of like, you know, people are losing their fascination with it at this point. What do you think? Do you think people will, like, forever be fascinated? Uh, well, here, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, one thing I'll tell you, if, if as far as, like, how things tie with current events, is I just started a new book that was recommended to me by another Mansonologist. Um, and it's called uh, Chaos, and it has a bunch of blah, 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 blah. But it's like CIA, MK Ultra, Mind Control. 
So cool. There's some CoinTelPro. But you have heard of those like theories that Manson was trained by the yes. CIA with LSD. Now, to me, of course, with the with the Epstein thing, and then the flipping back and forth of like, you know, RussiaGate, then the in- investigation of the investigation, and like the whole, like that that whole that there's some government fuckery behind anything. It wrong. seems more and more convincing to you, is what you're saying. Is that where you're going? I'm just saying, saying. I'm saying that there's a side of it. It might be one of those things that, you know, if 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 you go conspiracy theory, like conspiracy theory is huge now. Yes. And uh, so Manson, compared to other serial killers, Manson is the most uh, conspiracy theoryable. Well, he's yeah, and you know, but I, I read somewhere today that somebody called out Tarantino on this film. Boots Riley, uh, he Boots was Riley. wrong. He was and, wrong, and he was and he, he was said, ignorant. Why don't you point out that these were white supremacists? Because he was wrong. Kids. He was wrong, and it's in that book that we just talked about, Jeff Gwynn. There is a se- sequence in that book that says when Manson started hanging out with Dennis Wilson. Yeah. He picked up the undercurrents because Manson, for one thing, you have to think of the white supremacist is definitely a word that's very the phrase is very in vogue at the moment. Mm-hmm. But Manson was like from the Appalachians. He was a poor white person. He was white who was trash. Born in the fifties, like literally, yeah. he was literally in the class of people that racism was invented for. Mm-hmm. And then he spent all of his lives in institutions. Yes. So, which you're that there's no there's no like opting out of racism in jails and stuff. And then the other thing was that from, you know, from that Gwyn book, it talks about like how he saw how they organized in prison with the Nation of Islam. And he found it very impressive and intimidating. Like, you can't beat this kind of organization. Mm -hmm. And then if you keep in mind, like in the late 60s, the entire reason that SWAT teams was invented was fear of the Black Panthers. So basically, like, like, like what Manson's way of looking at the idea of like a like a like a black like power race war upright he was just saying the blacks like if they decide that they're going to just take up their guns and kill all the whites they're just going to be able to do it but he was actually that was that was mainstream authoritarian thought of the time yeah so where Boots Riley got it wrong Uh was that Manson specifically made a point of never talking about that shit around the family (laughs) Mm -hmm. because he was he, he was a sociopath manipulator. He knew it was the peace and love thing. And there's a passage in the book that actually says when he met Dennis Wilson, he caught that there was he can he could tell that Dennis Wilson had this undercurrent of racism that Manson shared and that he but he was never overt about it because that would kill the deal. And then the other side of it was that um, Bugliosi, like, in order to convict Manson, because we're keeping in mind that he didn't kill any of those people, and Bugliosi had to convict him of murder. Right. So that, like... Conspiracy to commit murder, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, like, all right, so we know that one of the things was the main motivation for the those murders was after Bobby Beausoleil killed Gary Hinman under Manson's instructions. And then Beausoleil says to Manson's like, yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not saying anything, but Manson got this vibe. If he doesn't fix it, he's going to start talking. So, you know, probably misguidedly, that doesn't sound well thought out unless there's a conspiracy. But he's like, okay, we'll make it look like a copycat murder. And then, and so when his thing was that we're going to blame it like on the Black Panthers or the Black, you know, the, the race war that's coming. Like, he wasn't, like, thinking that far outside the box from what was in the air. There was a lot of context in that uh, Gwyn book about how, um, 
like the the style of um, you know like racial tension and racial fear. They they're most segregated. Like mm-hmm. LA was like ex- mm-hmm. like ex- thoroughgoing goingly extremely segregated yes um and the the entire reason the black panthers existed was because they wanted to be able to have, defend themselves against police like so so it, it you know the uh manson wasn't that he was he was tapped into the zeitgeist with that little theory but i think yeah, i don't but, think that was his main don't you um, think point. there's listen as 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 we go up into the hollywood hills yes. by the way one of my favorite things about the film is it made me feel like i was out there uh, you know, the film starts in February. It's beautiful. It's warm. People are in shirt sleeves. Yeah. You know, they're driving around in convertibles. You know, their wind is blown through. It's a very idealized, but maybe it's not. Maybe that's what Hollywood was like in 1969, February of 1969. Maybe yeah. that's what it was like, right? Uh, but, you know, uh, we don't. The thing about Manson to me is I sometimes wonder if it's just it was a simple case of he thought Terry Melcher was in that house and he wanted to kill Terry Melcher. Well, well, so Terry Melcher, who uh, is, you know, son of Doris Day, record producer, right. right? Who he met through, I believe, through Dennis Wilson or maybe it was vice versa. He I met believe, Dennis Wilson. I think he met him through Phil Kaufman. Phil Kaufman, His jail the, the roadie that burned or Grant tried Parsons. to burn Grant Parsons and also failed miserably at it and <laughs> in the Phil Joshua Kaufman, Tree. Phil Kaufman, who worked for Frank Zappa. Okay. Also, the man who said the sentence that led to the composition of a song known as "Why Does It Hurt When I Pee." Why does it hurt when I pee? So this guy was burying Graham Parsons. He was um, hooking Manson up with the music industry. <laughs> in retrospect, maybe not such a hot not idea. A, not such a hot <laughs> idea in retrospect. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, and, and then uh, creating, making Zappa write songs about him. Uh, well, you know, the thing about, about, about Manson is, and we're, let's listen to a little bit of Cease to Exist right now, and you can tell yes. me what you think of him as a musician. Mm-hmm. Keith Ortel is with me here on Aerial View. Here's uh, Cease to Exist. Charlie. Pretty girl. Pretty, pretty girl. Cease to exist Just come and say you love me Who's playing the crap guitar in the background? Do you have any idea who that is? No, I don't, I don't know who that is. Give up your work Come on, you can't be Would you have given this guy a record contract? Well, um... I'm. I have a terrible track record on predicting who should have a record contract. I do know that Neil Young tried to get like uh, Universal or someone to sign him. Like, like Neil Young tried to get him signed. Like actively. Like, oh, if only get... Neil Young had succeeded. You know, Sharon Tate and Abigail Folger and Wojtek Frykowski mm-hmm. and Jay Sebring, my and Steve Parent, who was is not, I believe, in the film. Really, there wasn't there a no. Well, they didn't guard. Well, 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 yeah. we're, we're getting close yeah, yeah, yeah. to spoiler. Well, I, 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 I <laughs> yes. I'm not going to. It's not going to spoil anything to, to say. say Steve Parent. Steve Parent, not who was the first person murdered. Yes. Uh, you know. Yes. They. Uh, anyway, I think this is terrible. This, oh. I think this shit's pretty terrible. You can listen to it once for yeah. laughs. You're not going back to listen I'm to it again. Kind, I'm your kind, I'm your brother. I don't, 
You know what? It's this. I don't know. I just feel like I could turn on WFMU at any time, and some shit like this would be playing, and it wouldn't. I, that doesn't surprise make me it remotely. right. No, no. I'm just saying. I, I would call it outsider music. That's yeah, what it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I think people play this shit ironically. Is but what they do. cease to exist. Of course, this is the one that uh, Dennis Wilson stole the lyrics, changed the lyrics, mm. and then didn't co-credit Manson, and they turned it into the song. Um, Never forget not to love. Never forget not to love. I think I have. Do I have that? Let me see. Keith Hartel's with me here on Aerial View, and uh, we're talking about the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Holly Weird, as I'm calling it, because so to go back to the Jack Davis tribute uh, from earlier, um, we didn't mention the other character in this, the uh, Sundance kid to the to the Butch Cassidy of Rick Dalton. Yes. And namely, that is Cliff Booth, the stunt double played by Brad Pitt, uh, who has been relegated to sort of like a Man Friday status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, now just uh, drives the car because Rick has lost his license due to drunk driving, and he does other various... So they're always together. And I said when we came out of the theater, I said it reminded me of when I saw Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in 1969. Yeah. I wanted to be either Butch Cassidy or the Sundance Kid when I came out of the theater. Yeah. And both of these people, uh, these these characters are fairly uh, interesting, cool people. And you're like, oh, if only I could be that laconic. Yeah. And that tough and that brave and that, oh my God. So it seems like a lot of uh, Quentin Tarantino sort of like wish fulfillment on the screen if, the, if i was boy i could be brad pitt for two well, hours you well, know? that that brad pitt was a that was a yeah that, that was as cool as it gets but uh one of the things i think is really uh kind of meta about the whole thing is that you know brad pitt is sort of just rules that movie he's the cool guy he gets to do all the coolest stuff yeah but what you'll hear you know technically he's the supporting actor and, and leonardo's the lead so you actually hear there's Oscar talk for uh, Leonardo. Right. And it would be perfect if, like, Leonardo got to win the Oscar, but Brad Pitt actually did the heavy lifting the movie. But having said that, I will say that Leonardo, because, like, Brad Pitt, you know, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are kind of parallel kind of, you know, movie stars. Right. And Brad Pitt got to play the coolest guy in the world. And what Leonardo, like, one of the things I was wondering about what Tarantino was thinking is that... That um, actors, the way we see them, we see them in the movies, and then we otherwise just hear them talking in interviews, which is another character they're presenting. And that's why a lot of them are stiffs and a lot of them are boring or whatever. But um, that Tarantino really knows actors. And that, like, the Leonardo, like, like who he's pure, he's so, he's so fragile in that movie. Like, he's just... He's got an actor's ego. Yes. No doubt. But he's, but he's, but there's no, like, he's so, he's, he just seems so, like, he and, just seems like he's broken, like, or he's about to break, like, at any time. Well, his, it's, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's an interesting um, look at what happens when, you know, your ego, and in this case, the male ego, of yeah. course, is based upon, you know, what he does and, yeah. and who knows that he does it and who wants to pay him to do it. And as, his career begins to fade. He, it's like, what am I then? Well, yeah. who, who am I? What am I good for? I gotta now. I gotta move out of the hills, right? Yeah. Well, you know that's that's interesting because obviously everyone, and I'm sure this is accurate, says, "Well, this must be what Quentin Tarantino kind of thinks about himself." 
but the funny thing is, of, of course it is, like, you know, Tarantino, but on, but Tarantino is obviously one at life and the industry and whatever. But Bowie, yes. when he hit his, um, his first album after he turned 50 was an album called Hours. And a lot of it was this melancholy, like, looking back, I don't know if things could have been better. And Bowie, in interviews, kept on saying, I was looking at how a man my age, not myself, but someone, you know, that it could be about my age, where, in other words, like, I don't know if Bowie was bullshitting or not, but to me, it always came across as that, like, he couldn't admit that he had the insecurities of a man in his 50s. But that was like Bowie, you know, made an album on that entire theme and then just very carefully said what it was about, but it wasn't about him. But it wasn't about me. According to hmm. him. So do you, I, I don't know that uh, Quentin Tarantino has uh, conversations with himself about obsolescence. Do you think he's thinking someday... Uh, well, he is hanging up his hat, right? If yeah. he sticks to this 10 films thing, so that means one more movie. Uh, do you have any predictions about what that will be about or uh, what what uh, he's going to do well, in this film? There's like, there's three different things, I think. But c- because one rumor, that's more than a rumor because it's definitely not been kiboshed and it's been discussed, is he might do a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. And then if he does a Star Trek movie, that might end up, being like a bonus but he still does his last movie but what he has said was that this movie um if this is like the grand finale then his last movie would be very epilogue and then the last thing he said was that he said he might end up doing a really good horror movie i would see that i would see all that i think the next movie is gonna have kids in. hey buzzard is that you no it's a you know, it's a robot it's a robot answering the phone. Hey, man, say hello to my friend Keith Hartel. Keith who? Hartel. H-A-R-T-E-L. He plays the guitar. You two would get along like a house on fire. I'll tell you right now. Glad to meet you, Keith. Nice to meet you, Mr. Robot. Buzzard. Buzzard. Buzzard is a truck driver. Where are you right now in the United States? I uh, just crossed into uh, Kansas out of Colorado. Just crossed into Kansas out of Colorado. And uh, that means you're headed east, if I remember my geography. Yeah, I'm heading for Georgia. You're heading to Georgia. What, what do you got on the truck? Can you share it, or is it classified? You got ice cream. Ice cream? You better get it there before it <laughs> melts, buddy. You better get it there quick. Now, nah, hell, I got a set of minus 10. It ain't going to melt. You know, I, uh, I'm i glad to hear that. But I wanted to talk to you tonight, Buzzer, because Keith and I, yesterday we saw the film Once Upon a Time, in Hollywood. Do you know about this film? I've been hearing a lot about it. I haven't had a chance to see it. I hear it's got a real good soundtrack behind it. The soundtrack's really good, yeah. That's I should awesome. introduce you to Keith a little bit more and to other people who might not know. Uh, Buzzard is now, I think he's in his... Do you, do you mind if I share your age? Yeah, I don't care. I'm old in the dirt, man. What are you, <laughs> you're 70? How old are you? 73. 73. He's 73. Yeah. It he's doesn't still, sound as old as it used to. to it me. doesn't sound as old as it used to. He's been driving a truck for many years, but um, I met Buzzer through trucking, but then we got to talking, and Buzzer would call in all the time, and it turns out, you know, Buzzer uh, not only was a, a prisoner of war in Vietnam, he, he, he was doing black bag ops in Cambodia. Shh, don't tell anybody. Okay. But they he was what they call a tunnel rat because he's small and wiry, He's a Native American, and they would put him down in the tunnels, and he'd flush out the Vietnamese, you know. 
and he would do it uh, Native American style. And I mean, like, you know, just nobody survives. Like, he'd take everybody out. You know what I mean? So then he was, uh, pr- you know, he was a guest of the Vietnamese for a few years. And uh, then he got back to the United States, joined a motorcycle club. Don't call it a gang. It's a motorcycle club. Fair enough. They ended up hanging out at Spawn Ranch with Charlie Manson. Uh, and Buzzard... He wasn't in the Straight Satans, was he? Buzzard, do you hey, care... What? The Straight Satans? No, 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 no. Met a couple of them. I'm, I'm a retired Devil's Disciple. Devil's Disciples. So, so, and I remember when Buzzard said this to me, I was like, is this something that people would make up? Is this bullshit that some? And then I'm like, no, I don't think a truck driver in his 70s is going to make up a story about hanging out with Charlie Manson to gain points with me. Like, why yeah, would, right, right. you know, because I'd, I'd be like, really? What was Charlie really like? Did I ask you that, Buzzard, by the way? I think you asked me once or twice. I'm going to ask you again, for the record, because we're, we're on the air, yeah. on the houndnyc.com. Um, oh, oh. You, Did you think he was just a little shrimp? Well, I better watch my language. I, you no. know, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep a grip on that. No, that's okay. We're on the internet. Language doesn't matter. You could say oh, anything you oh. want, pal. Whatever you, know, you want to say. You know, Charlie was loose as a goose, man. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, he was nuttier than a fruitcake without the nuts. <laughs> he was nuttier than a fruitcake without the nuts. And, um... I mean, they... You know, they, this guy... But, I mean, this, this guy... He, he had such a line on him and stuff. I mean, you know, if you weren't... You know, if you didn't watch yourself, man, this guy wrapped you up into his web and had me down there pulling all the shit for him that, you know, he he had plans. So the guy, the guy was just... You know, the guy was just totally off the wall. And so he would get um, you uh, motorcycle clubs up to Spawn Ranch by promising you what uh, uh, liquor and and drugs and girls. What was the what was the lure? It wasn't to hang well, out with Charlie, was it? Oh hell no! You know, I, I had I had better things to do than hang out with that nut. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he uh, well, you know, he he was on a recruiting campaign to try to recruit us to become his personal uh, strong arm and first enforcers. Right. He wanted an army of bikers, biker army, right? right. Well, yeah. well, pretty much, you know, he, he wanted his own, he wanted his own personal uh, inner circle of protection. Right. And you guys thought that was hilarious, didn't you? I mean, I remember you telling me we just drank his beer and screwed the girls and left. Basically. Well, well, come on, you know, you got to remember, you're talking, you know, you're talking late 60s, early 70s. You know, you're talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, this this guy, you know, this guy, you know, made sure that we had all the booze, all the drugs, all the pussy we wanted when we were up there. Now, what so about, why wouldn't you go party? Why wouldn't you go party there? Why not? Indeed, I would go there. Now, what about the Beatles? What about the sound system? Did they have a good sound system? Were they playing music everywhere? Uh... There, there was always, you know, there was always a stereo going there in the main house and stuff and everything, you know. I mean, I, you know, you know that, that was part of his aspects. I mean, you know, he played a lot of psychedelic there. Uh, you, ha- you had a table sitting in the middle of the room, had every kind of drug you could manage. I mean, it was, you know, like, you know, tune in and turn out type thing, man. I mean, you know, drop three, four tabs of acid, crank up the music, and just get fucked up. Who cares? Yeah, who cares indeed? And and then would he come to you and he, would he start talking to you and trying to get you into this whole idea of come come live here bring your motorcycles with you what what would he say? 
Well, he, you know, you know, the main room in the house, you know, it, it was full of like, you know, um, you know, the old, uh, hell, what do you call them, you know, you know, the old fluff pillows and stuff and everything for right. the old crunchy pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bean, beanbag yeah. chairs, that kind of shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, be, yeah, that's a beanbag chair. What a macrame. Right. Yeah, and he he had his he had his own throne in the middle of the room. It was an old easy chair set up on blocks where he was always you know four or five feet above the room, looking down upon the room. Power move! You know, wow, had, definitely like a throne. Wow, that's yeah, impressive. Yeah, well, right, and, and and he had such you know he had such a set of piercing blue eyes. He could sit there and look at you, man, and it looked like it felt like he was looking right through you, and he would sit up there. And he would preach his doctrine while you were ripped out of your mind. What and, doctrine you know, was that? Have, was it about a, like a race war? Did he talk about there's going to be a race war and, you know, it's going to be black oh, yeah. against what he did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, his his whole aspect was to start a race war and uh, to where he could, you know, he, you know, he pit the blacks against the whites and, uh, he would be the only stable situation for anybody to come to to help because he already had his standing army there to combat anybody that tried to fuck with you. What a theory. Did you tell him you thought this was a crackpot idea or were you like, hey, that sounds pretty plausible, Charlie? Chris. Yes. Buzz. When was the last time he crawled Iraq with three broads at the same time? Do anything you want them to do no matter what. Oh, so you're not going to kill the golden goose, right? The goose that laid the golden egg. Well, I, I don't say, right? know. I, I told you, we're there strictly for the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. Right. And so, but it's sort of like when you go to one of those timeshare things and they tell you you're going to get to spend the weekend in Boca, but they don't tell you about the five hours locked in an airless room when some guy's going to try to get you to buy the timeshare. So Charlie's like the timeshare salesman. And the, yeah, the you know, you, know, right. you, you sit there, you sit there and let him babble and say, hey, I hear you, man. I know what you're saying, but you know, hey, you know what? Let's have another drink, man. I, you know, I, I want to see that redhead over there for a little bit. He's okay. Well, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I'll be here. I ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Charlie was like chicken shit, though. He's not going to mess with the bikers, right? He's trying to get the bikers to protect him, so he's not going to mess with the bikers. Who's he going to have the you mess know, Charlie, with? You know, you know, Charlie tried to put put on a hardcore face with your citizen type things, man. I mean, yo. You know, you know, uh, you know, your recording artists, the Beach Boys, and everything. You know, they, you know, these are all citizens that got no idea what kind of world we live in and stuff. So, you know, he's trying to put on a hardcore act with that. But he come deal with us. You know what? He run right into hardcore, and he knew it. Yeah. Well, the devil's disciples. I don't want to say it, Keith. They were pretty hardcore. I've heard stories. I won't share them on the air because Buzzard has a lot of children, and a lot of grandchildren. Fair I don't know how much of this shit he shared with them. But there's some yeah, things kids, going my, on. You know, my kids, the grandkids, they're all about me. Hell, I've been all over the internet for years till they have, till they took it down because of you know pressure from the feds. Ooh, I hate when you get pressure from the feds. My least favorite kind of pressure. But I want to ask you because we uh, we've talked a lot, Buzzard, about Charlie Manson. You ever meet Tex Watson or who uh, Bobby Beausoleil or Clem, whatever the hell his name? You ever meet any of these they, other you know, jerks? They, yeah, they were all there. They you know, they, you know Tex considered himself a a, a, a nice. You know, a knife artist. Text thought he was a knife artist. He was always fooling with a knife. Yeah, well, you know, then we introduced him to Skinner, and he he pretty much backed off from us. What's Skinner? What is that? Is that a game or a person? He's one, he, 
he's one of our brothers. Ooh. Oh, and Skinner really knows how to work a knife. That's why they call him Skinner, I bet, right? <laughs> yeah. Definite knife artist. Definite, definite knife artist. And then Charlie was like, maybe I'm not so good with a knife. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, I'm talking to Buzzard, uh, who I've been friends with since, I don't know, 2006 or thereabouts. It's been uh, 13 years or so. And yeah, it's been a couple, you know, a couple of days. Buzzard's been in my house. As we were going out the door to go get something to eat, he was talking about how, uh, human heads coming off like bottle caps, basically. And uh, I had to say to him, hey, my wife's right behind us. So <laughs> stop talking about the decapitation for just a few minutes until we get to dinner. <laughs> and then after dinner, if you want to talk about that subject, we could certainly. Uh, but uh, Buzzard used to go up to Spawn Ranch. But, you know, that wasn't all he did. He had a whole life going on in there in the West Coast. And at some point, he said, I'm going to go drive a truck. He's still driving a truck today. I want to. I just want to thank you, Buzzer, for doing that. Because without truck drivers, we'd all be hungry, homeless, and naked, as the expression goes. So thank you for uh, getting the ice cream to those people in Georgia. I appreciate it. No big deal. But, I mean, you got you know, you to stop looking at my background and stuff. You know, it's a job that fits me, man. I don't have to deal with anybody I don't want to deal with. I don't have to put up a lot of people, that, which I don't. I have problems with people anyway. I mean, they aggravate me at times. Yeah, I, you and me both. That's why we like each other. Because you know, it's like that line of the Bukowski line. Uh, what's the matter? Don't you like people? I like, no, I, I, I don't hate people. I just, I just feel, feel better when, when they're, they're not, not around. around. That's right. Yeah. Well, well, I like you. Know, I was, you know, like I've always told you, I, you know, I have a low tolerance for idiocy. Yeah, you and me both. That's the other reason. See, uh, yeah, but, but you know, the problem, you know, problem. The difference is. is I have a tendency to do something about the EDC. You don't. Uh, I think at this point we probably should not do anything about the EDC because it could lead to jail time. So thank you, Buzzard. I, Buzzard, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to uh, finish talking with Keith Hartel. Uh, but you should go see the film. If you get a chance and you could find a, a, a parking lot big enough for your truck and you could get to a movie theater, I know it's not easy for truck drivers to go to the movies because they got a truck with them full of ice cream. It's not like you can take two and a half, three hours and go watch a film. But maybe once you deliver the ice cream, find a place in Georgia, if you can bobtail over there, you get over there and you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, I, you know, I, like I said, I've heard a lot of the uh, raves on the stuff. And, you know, I, I definitely want to go see it. I just got to get, get to the point where I've got an extra day where I'm not doing everything where I can get to the theater and go see it and stuff. Man. Well, then, know, park is no trouble. You know, park is no trouble. I mean, hell, I'll bobtail park in the mall. Good. And then you could tell us what you thought of the movie's recreation of Spawn Ranch as somebody who had been there. Maybe you could have gotten a little of that Quentin Tarantino consulting money. We could have hooked you up. You could have said, nah. Well, yeah. Well, they, you know, they're going to do like anything. They're going to put the Hollywood twist on it and stuff, you know, glamorize it more than it really was. They actually, you know, it was an old rundown, uh, you know, movie, movie set that they used to shoot Western movies on and stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, the, guy that owned, the guy that owned it, well, the guy that owned it, uh, you know, the reason he let him move in there and take over the place and stuff is, you know, Squeaky kept him happy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He named her Squeaky. Well, yeah, that's why. Well, that's why she got named Squeaky. He had a habit of pinching her. Every time he pinched her, she'd squeal. <laughs> wow. See, now that detail could have been in that film if only, okay. Well, I'm sorry, Buzzer, I didn't hook you up with Quentin Tarantino. That's funny because nah, I'm deal. one of the few people that probably knows both of you and, and have talked to both of you. It's not inconceivable well, 
that I could have said to Quentin Tarantino, hey, if you make a future film that involves the Manson family, I know a guy who used to uh, hang out with them, and he would be an excellent <laughs> consultant for your movie. So call me in six or seven or eight years when you finally get that movie produced. <laughs> that well, would have gone you know, great. Well, Chris, I mean, you know, you and I have talked enough. Like I said, you had some people, you know, talk to me and everything, walk away shaking their heads, say, this guy's so full of crap, it's pitiful. <laughs> but like I've told you before, I've never told you anything that I could send you to the Internet. You could verify it. Yeah, I believe you. I, I think you have uh, vermisletude, as they call it, Buzzard. You got a lot of vermisletude. Did you know that? I don't even know what the word means. I'm yeah. a dumb truck driver, remember? It, it means authenticity. You're very, uh, I find you to be authentic. I wouldn't worry about that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Buzzard. I got to go because we got like six minutes left in the program. We haven't talked about any of the fucking f- music in this film. Thank you, Buzzard. Take care, man. I'll talk to you soon. I think, he, I think he's gone now, Keith. Sorry. I feel bad because I had Keith Hortel on as a special guest, and I just digressed to Buzzard, uh, Buzzard for 15 very, minutes. Very worthwhile. Did you think so? Yeah. Hell I want yeah. to surprise you with that. Yeah. But I knew a guy that was at Spawn Ranch and hung out with Manson. No, and I think, because the thing that I would be curious about, too, is, um, you know, from reading the books over the years, as you have, um, one of the things I appreciated about the movie was, like, it gave me a picture in my head of what Spawn Ranch was like. Because, you know, you read the book, then you look at the crappy black and white pictures. Mm-hmm. But, like, that movie, the way it puts you there, and it does match the description, but it makes it more real. Mm-hmm. But I would be curious how real it really, really, really was. Was that... Um, there was another movie ranch uh, called Melody Ranch uh-huh. that was a Western set, like Spawn Ranch. Uh-huh. And I, I, I wonder if they shot it there. I, I probably could look it up on IMDb and find out. But um, that burned down when those Malibu fires swept through. Uh-huh. So there's no more Melody Movie Ranch. Uh-huh. I don't, and I think Spawn Ranch is long gone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's true. Because you can make a mint bringing people up there right now. Get these goddamn yeah. millennials on a bus and take them up to Spawn Ranch. And let them walk around and like play act being in the family. They would love that shit. I don't they think would millennials get Manson. Really? Yeah. Man. See, because I think there's a renewed interest in him <laughs> now. I think there is a thing going on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where they they are getting interested well, in the because of this film, among other things. Well, it's funny. I I don't know the millennial attitude about the movie because it's one of those things that if you read the reviews, uh, I don't even want to talk about reading the reviews. Why is that? Well, because they just say things like Quentin Tarantino tries to resurrect uh, alpha males that do things well. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, like a cultural yeah. backlash or like it's uh, it's been called regressive I think in the New Yorker or some bullshit. Well, it, it is set uh, 1969. Yeah. So it you is would what expect it is. Yeah. Something set 50 years ago to be, dare I say, regressive. Yeah. So, I, I don't know how, how else to put it. Wouldn't it be regressive? No. Oh my God! If you're like me, and I hope that's not the case, but uh, this this kind of shit is starting to drive you insane. This is the kind of stuff where you're like, can't someone just make a film that's doesn't necessarily check all the boxes for you? Is that, that okay? That's the thing. That's where Tarantino that okay? beat the game because there's yeah. even been, I don't know, there was there's so many goofy articles uh, from every outlet. So I forget where stuff comes from, but like. You know, someone ran like, 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 like Tarantino should be over already. And it's, it's based on, you know, all kinds of, you know, um, uh, possible infractions or, you know, you know, prior infractions, guilts of association, rumors, 
like th- things other than the movie itself, but then says in the mo- this movie too, it's just typical. It's just two guys, like the men are the most important thing, oh. and the men do everything. And it's oh. like, you know, you know, this is it's a guy movie. It doesn't seem like it's trying to, yeah, you know, uh, it's a bro, it's a buddy movie. Like it's, it's literally a buddy. It's movie. a buddy movie, and um, it's it's a, it's a lot of things, but it's also. Um, I, you know, I can't, it's hard to talk about it without giving away the ending because I was yeah. surprised by the ending. Yes. I thought the ending was different. I didn't know that that was going to be the ending. So I was—I don't want to ruin that yeah. for the people. We should mention Margot Robbie Margot as Robbie. Sharon yeah. Tate does a beautiful job as well. Yes, he does. Um, and uh, great job by Timothy Oliphant in there. Yes. Uh, yes. Child actress uh, Jennifer something—I forget her last name, but I think the first name is Jennifer. But she has an incredible scene. With Leo DiCaprio, yep. a couple of scenes, actually two scenes, where she's just amazing. I think his next, uh, last film, his own film, might be about kids. Might have kids in it. That's going to be my prediction. Do a film with kids in it. Well, you know? he's going to have one, so he might. Be that one, might be that might be one of those the, people. Like yeah. when the comedians have the kid, then they do all the material about kids. A I lot should. Of times it works. I should quickly mention that uh, the wacky hijinks of Adrenaline OD, the 35th anniversary edition is available on Beer City Records, out today at massmovement.co.uk. That's not even a... I'm not even getting compensated for that. I'm just saying that because I like Bruce uh, Wingate yeah. On, yeah. Uh, on on the Facebook, and he put it up on his page about how that record is like 35, 35th anniversary re-release out now. But uh, do you realize we didn't talk about the news at all, and I'm very happy about that. We made a glancing... Uh, reference to Hurricane Dorian, but that yeah. was it. So I'm glad that I was able to get out of the news zone with Keith Ortel, but an hour has actually gone by. Imagine that. Um, we're going to run just a little bit long while I look for the Once Upon a Time in America soundtrack. Do you remember uh, what else was on there? Paul Revere and the Raiders? Yeah, a couple songs uh, by Paul Revere and the Raiders. There is a... Like, Wayne Cochran and CC Riders, two Deep Purple songs, Hush and Kentucky Woman, and then Neil Diamond doing a different song. Doing a different, uh, he did uh, The Brother Loves Rolling uh, Salvation Show, whatever the hell it is. Is that, yeah, yeah Hot August Night, whatever the hell the name yes, of it is. I, yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. So uh, let's take a look on Spotify, right? Treat Her Right, Roy Head. Uh, and th- that's always been a favorite of mine. Great White Soul record, Rambling Gambling Man, you mentioned Bob Seeger. Uh, great version of Hush with the first of their many yeah. singers and, you know, well, singer number see, one. That's the yeah. other revelation of the movie. It's like, oh, Deep Purple was much better when they were like a <laughs> like a R&B pop band that had like an incongruous, wicked lead guitar player. Yes. Yeah. This is, uh, let's see if we can play. That's a little bit of, that's a little bit of the soundtrack there. It's a... Anyway, uh, the was it KLFX or KFX with the radio station with the real Don Steele? There's a lot of that in the film yeah. as well. Well, the funny thing about the movie is that, um, like a lot of people said about David Lynch, The Return, Twin Peaks, is that the whole if you the move the uh, the Return contained elements of everything David Lynch had done in his whole career. Like there was callbacks to his whole career, and right? I feel that this movie is very, very, very like that. Self-referential, yeah. Yes. And and the thing is, is that because the fact that all the music 
for the most part, comes from that same radio station. That was Reservoir Dogs, K-Billy Sound of the 70s, where right, the right, whole right. soundtrack was supposed to be, you kept on going back to the radio. Right, but this was an actual radio station, yes, and they replicated right. it with a lot of air checks and a lot of uh, original commercials. Yeah. And um, the version of California Dreaming that's on the soundtrack is uh, Jose Feliciano's version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the version of Out of Time. Yes. I, was that the Rolling Stones version? Which version was that? It was Rolling Stones, okay. but uh, there's two different versions of them, uh, and that's one of the two versions. I think there's a version that they had that didn't have the orchestration. There's and, a version. And this version had the orchestration. Well, the story behind that song, Out of Time, is it was um, that composition was a Chris Farlow composition. Uh -huh. They took his vocals off, and Mick Jagger sang over it. So there's no Rolling Stones on that song. Uh, it's 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 you know professional musicians yeah and orchestrated and the whole damn thing um, and I'm gonna go out with the Chris Farlow version we'll hear the Chris Farlow version as we exit all right um, but uh, I want to say again thank you to Keith Hartel and Keith hopefully you'll make it back here on a Friday afternoon when you have nothing else to do thank you it's been known and, to happen uh, no one to teach a guitar lesson to you'll come on by here and uh, thanks again to Buzzard. For joining me by phone somewhere between Colorado and Kansas as he moves the ice cream east. I'm thinking to Atlanta. Maybe they want the ice cream. Yeah. Whoever. But he's got to get it there. And get it there before it melts. And hopefully that uh, reefer unit is what they call them. The reefer won't go bad uh -huh. on the truck. I didn't know that's what they called it. That's, you didn't know they called it a reefer? No, man. I, yeah. Oh, reefer. Like a, refrigerated. Like, like refrigeration. Yeah, reefer. I get it now. So let, check this out. You ready? Yeah. Same song, right? Hey, uh, this is Aerial View on thehoundnyc.com. The Hound on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and then crashing the party with Mark and Miriam. You don't know what's going on You've been away for far too long You can't come back think you are still mad You're out of touch, my baby my old-fashioned baby I say, baby, baby, baby You're out of time Well, baby, baby, baby You're out of time I say, baby, baby, baby You're out of time Yes, you are Up your social world, you can't come back, be the first in line. Oh, yeah, you're obsolete, my baby. My poor, baby. I said, baby.
he gets out of here. He's going to cut all your heads off when he gets out of here. Because that's what you got coming. This is Jackie Mason reminding you to take your belongings. You don't have to take them, but if you want to, it's up to you. By the way, ask for a receipt. Take it, ask him. Don't be ashamed.